You're listening to The Art of KCF. This essay is called The Art of Transition and was released as part of The Art of KCF newsletter, issue number 60, sent to email subscribers on December 31st, 2022. I keep several running lists of dates near me on the timeline of my departure from the Academy. My memory has never been great for some things, though I do practice the Scorpio gift of receipt-keeping and have been known to somehow recall intense specificities of memories related to vengeance or grudges other people don't even know I'm keeping for them. The list starts in 2017 because that is when Vimo and I moved to our country home and when some really big shifts in my life began. Every year that comes and goes between then and now seems to be an expansion of time that's both long like a slinky when it calmly flips down the staircase step and short when it rejoins its other end, making a neat, orderly stack. I carry a post-it in my passion planner of my career trajectory to help me make sense of all that has happened in the five years since 2017. It recently came in particularly handy while pulling together an artist talk I gave at Cotty College in early December. I have another post-it note next to my laptop stand in my studio because I often reference the timeline when applying for fellowships or other artist opportunities. It's helpful to remember when exactly I graduated with my AFA in Fine Arts, for instance, 2020 which in turn helps me think back to when I completed my last semester of teaching, spring 2019. And while flipping the Gregorian calendar always helps inform reflection on transitions from one year to the next, I am finding myself increasingly interested in better understanding myself in relation to this career timeline I keep having to reference, because I can't remember if my departure was just last year or if it's been longer. It's not just the fallibility of my memory that has created this continuity challenge in my mind, but of course 2020 is a marker of so much change for all of us that continues to shape our present. Graduating at the beginning of our ongoing pandemic and trying to navigate a career shift has not been easy, but neither, I suppose, has it been easy for my colleagues who were forced to shift to online course delivery mid-semester and for a couple of semesters onward, all while wading through the ever-changing guidance set by university administrators on how to keep themselves and their students safer from an airborne illness that continues to kill too many to truly fathom. This December marks three semesters since I've not been in the academy, and by my purposeful use of that marker of time, it's clear my brain after a lifetime of being in academic settings, continues to want to organize time in this manner. It shouldn't really come as much of a surprise that these old ways of being continue to haunt me. I'm constantly evaluating my media content, whether books, television shows, narrative films, documentaries, and podcasts. And as I'm watching or listening or reading, I'm thinking about what I would do with this information if I was teaching. I catalog books I would assign for classes I used to teach, 
and I make up assignments for classes I'd like to teach in the future. These habits make me wonder if this is just who I am after nearly 40 years of learning and almost two decades of teaching. Or if this is only a habit and one day my brain will stop organizing information in these ways. Will three more semesters of me not affiliated with an academic institution come and go and I'm still doing this? The assignment one is kind of funny because it requires me to maintain a fantasy in which I have students under my charge again. It makes me think there are parts of me that really miss teaching, being in the classroom, curating a 16-week learning experience. I work up assignments in my head for imaginary classes. I wrestle with learning objectives and how the content would help students think differently about a topic of my choosing. I think about how I might work in the current events of protests in Iran or China in the global feminisms course I used to teach. I think a lot about the theme I might organize a senior seminar around. When the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade earlier this year, I mourned not only this court decision, but also the opportunity to be in community with the built-in feminist campus goers the second waiver colleagues I was often butting head with on campus, and my young, radical-spirited students who were ready to burn it all down. These groups clearly wouldn't agree on everything, but the intergenerational wisdoms would have been good to experience. And I would have had a clear role, answering media requests, organizing speakers, rallies, protests. It would have been nice to feel like I had more than just money to give toward the next era of reproductive justice movement building. More often than pretending I'm teaching again, I transport myself back to the version of myself when I was in graduate school. I take notes in my dedicated reading notebook on subjects that are of interest to me. I write down quotations from the texts with proper attributions so I can cite later even as my academic publishing dreams seem to wither as each day passes that I spend painting. I will end this year having logged 152 books read, and every single one could be part of a curriculum of my making. My brain could easily organize them into a course of study, taking pleasure in formalizing lesson plans and learning journeys that extend beyond my informal interest. I use them to write imaginary papers. I come up with compelling titles. I maintain a running shared note with my prima, who still has access to the library databases, and who generously grabs me PDFs of academic articles. I take joy in reading, cataloging, taking notes on, thinking deeply about. My own course of study on topics I wish I would have taken with the meaningful guidance of a learned prof. I'm not sure what good any of this reflection and sharing is for me, other than perhaps my intense desire to notice and intellectualize my existence in this time. To feel like, in maybe putting it down in words, I can start to exercise my obsessive scholarly habits. Perhaps naming that I'm living this weird beside the academy life can somehow change how I feel about it. My comfort is more with pushing these uncomfortable feelings away instead of trying to live with them, though I'm learning new tools to try to allow them to coexist. 
to welcome instead of deride. I don't regret my choice to leave. If given the chance to do it again, I would. While I don't regret it, I still miss it occasionally. Although, obviously, there are many things I do not miss at all. But as a professor, there are conversations to be had in the space of a classroom that aren't easily replicated elsewhere. And I miss that deep engagement. I seek enlightenment through the form of wisdom. Not all wisdoms are book-learned, nor are they the most inherently important wisdoms. They're my most practiced, my most comfortable path for finding the wisdoms. I suppose that the lessons here for me in this time is to be gentle with myself in recognizing a year and a half time is nothing in the scale of my life so far, and that perhaps there is magic for me in what has been left behind. I'm living the monastery scholarly life at the Chick Finn, surrounded by all I need for the time being. I do dream of book clubs and study groups and seminars and lecture halls, and the feelings I feel only when I'm surrounded by the library stacks. I dream of reading lists and buying books at the bookstore and syllabi and learning objectives. I dream of fireside chats and cosplaying as a full professor, drinking a scotch at the campus club. To clarify, these dreams are of the sleeping variety, not the goal-setting variety. They're as if another version of me are still on that path, along with the monk version of me at the mountainous secluded tower, along with the current version of me in the timeline that I'm reporting from right now. It's easy to hone in on this end-of-year situation as occasion to start freaking out. I can easily slip into believing I've wasted my time, that I didn't accomplish enough this year, objectively not true. I can spiral that another year has come and gone, which puts pressure on the next one to be even greater than the last. 2023 is going to be our year, though, Nene. And as we do our annual reflections and goal settings, I'll share with you that I'm going to spend this upcoming year continuing to reflect on my relationship to time, to focus on the time being, or better yet, being a better time being, in the spirit of Ruth Ozeki's amazing book I read this year, A Tale for the Time Being. I'm going to continue to strive to be more instead of do more, to trust more in the universe to seek more flow than force, to cultivate calm and peace. I'm going to live into the next two semesters with curiosity, joy, and delight. I invite you to do what feels right for you in this time and hope you have a happy new year. Perhaps we can all learn something in dreaming about our time. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Art of KCF. The Art of KCF is created, written, produced, and edited by me, Candice Creel Falcon, with musical additions by Mountaineer via Upbeat. For a full transcript of the audio, plus all the features of my newsletter, like book reviews, creative links that inspire me, and an update on what's happening in my studio, be sure to find me through the link in the show notes. Till next time.
May the joy of creative inquiry guide your path.